this high priesthood being after the order of his son, which order was from the foundation of the world. Alma 13, 7. Hey listeners, this is Neil from Book of Mormon Central, and today's podcast addresses the question, why did Alma respond in the way he did to the order of Nehor and Ammonihah? One way to read the account of Alma and Amulek and Ammonihah is as a story of two conflicting orders. The order of Nehor, on the one hand, represented by Zeezrom and Antiona, and the Holy Order of the Son of God, represented by Alma and Amulek. In light of this clash of competing claims about priesthood, modern readers can see how Alma's profound and sublime teachings about the mysteries of God in Alma 12 and 13 respond directly to the five main teachings of Nehor, as summarized in Alma 1, verses 3 and 4. Number 1. Every priest and teacher ought to become popular. Nehor taught that his priests should become popular and ought not to labor with their hands, but be supported by the people. This was in direct opposition to the teachings of the covenant order of Alma's father, who taught that the priests were not to depend upon the people for their support. It is no wonder, then, that when confronting Nehor's followers, Alma would teach about the true order of the priesthood. Alma specifically taught that priests after the order of the Son of God were not elected by popularity, but were called by God from the foundation of the world according to their faith and humility. He drew on the example of Melchizedek, who exercised mighty faith and did preach repentance unto his people. In contrast to the Nahorite practice of being supported by the people's donations, Melchizedek collected proper tithes offered unto the Lord by Abraham unto the storehouses of God for the benefit of the poor. Number two, all mankind shall be saved at the last day. Nehor also taught that all mankind shall be saved at the last day, and thus people need not fear or tremble. In contrast, Alma taught the Nehorites at Ammonihah that at the last day, men would be brought before the bar of God to be judged according to our works. Thus, for the unrepentant wicked, there is reason to fear and to tremble, as Zeezrom himself was coming to understand. Alma did affirm that the Lord has all power to save every man, but clarified that this saving power can only be activated for an individual who believeth on his name and bringeth forth fruit meet for repentance. Number three, lift up their heads and rejoice. Instead of people fearing or trembling or feeling remorse for their sins, Nehor insisted that all men could and should lift up their heads and rejoice because there was nothing to worry about, for the Lord would save all. The Nehorite, being often connected with Amulon and the priests of Noah, may have derived this notion from a mistaken reading of Isaiah 52, which the priests asked Abinadi to explain. In this chapter, Isaiah taught that the Lord hath comforted his people and hath redeemed Jerusalem. In contrast, Alma taught that only for those who use this time now to repent will there be glad tidings of great joy and much reason to rejoice in the day of the Lord's coming in his glory. But he felt great anxiety for those who would not cast off their sins and who procrastinated the day of their repentance. Number four, the Lord had created all men and had also redeemed all men. The logical crux of Nehor's doctrine was that because the Lord had created all men, he therefore had also redeemed all men. This exposes Nehor's fundamental misunderstanding of the plan of redemption and explains why Alma dedicated so much time to explaining that very plan to the followers of Nehor at Ammonihah. To correct their misunderstanding, Alma repeatedly mentions the plan of redemption, emphasizing its requirements of faith and repentance in order to be redeemed. Alma explains that after the creation, man became lost and fallen through transgression. 
As such, God's plan requires that all look forward to his son for redemption. For those who do not, it shall be as though there had been no redemption made, for they cannot be redeemed according to God's justice. Number five, all men should have eternal life. Finally, having taught that God had redeemed all, and therefore all would be saved at the last day, Nehor naturally insisted that in the end, all men should have eternal life. Once again, Alma taught Nehor's followers at Ammonihah that this simply is not so. For those who do not repent but instead die in their sins, there is a second death, which is a spiritual death. Rather than receiving eternal life, those who suffer the second death face everlasting destruction according to the power and captivity of Satan. Alma concluded his overall explanation to the Ammonihaites by urging them to not procrastinate the day of your repentance so that ye shall receive eternal life and that ye may not suffer the second death. Alma 12 and 13 contain some of the most profound teachings about the plan of redemption and the true order of the priesthood found anywhere in scripture. Yet the people to whom these teachings were given were some of the most wicked and depraved people mentioned in the entire Book of Mormon, and for their iniquities the wrath of God utterly destroyed them. When considered in light of Nehor's teachings, it becomes clear why Alma taught these profound truths to such wicked people. It was because Nehor had most seriously distorted or misunderstood these very doctrines of priesthood and God's plan of redemption. Therefore, it was necessary to teach the people of Ammonihah the correct understanding of these eternal principles in order to have any hope of successfully dislodging them from their beliefs, from the order of Nahor, and from the resultant political objectives. Significantly, although Alma is clear about the dire consequences the unrepentant will face at the last day and in the eternities thereafter, his words here are not directly condemnatory of the people of Ammonihah. They are laced throughout instead with impassioned pleas that the people repent so that they may avoid the utter destruction that was coming for them in this life and the everlasting destruction of the second death in the worlds to come. Clearly, Alma did not wish either of these destructions upon the people of Ammonihah, despite how hostile they had treated him, how unethically they had attempted to bribe Amulek, and how atrociously they would treat the women and children of the believers. Instead, Alma hoped for their prosperity and eternal salvation through repentance, and thus he responded accordingly. Unfortunately, Alma's hope was in vain, even the correct teachings behind these sublime truths were not enough. Although some were converted, the majority of the people and their leaders remained hardened to the beautiful truths of the plan of redemption. Yet in holding out hope, Alma provides a marvelous example of loving one's enemies, an example that could be productively followed even today. Throughout his life, Alma optimistically believed that the preaching of the word of God could bring about a powerful change in the hearts and minds of the people and that it could literally change the course of history. In responding in this way, Alma set a loving and generous example for all his people to follow. May we likewise all learn to hold out hope, even for those who seem to us to be hopeless, and offer our compassion and the blessings of the plan of redemption even to those who revile us. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Book of Mormon, visit bookofmormoncentral.org and click on the Know Why tab.